Presenting for the first time in radio, the amazing interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon and Dale Arden. These thrilling adventures come to you as they are pictured each Sunday in the Comic Weekly, the world's greatest pictorial supplement of humor and adventure. The Comic Weekly, now printed in 32 tabloid-sized pages, each page in full four colors, is distributed everywhere as a part of your Hearst Sunday newspaper. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> this week, we're dedicating the show to TV superheroes. We will tell you what to watch and what not to watch in the uh, Marvel television universe. And we will talk about the returning shows on the CW. And if we have time, one new one. So, Inhumans has come out. It was originally released, uh, a theatrical release in IMAX theaters. And there was almost a universal cry in the geekdom saying, oh my God, this sucks. There was a great disturbance in the geek force. You have been brave enough to watch it. Yes. I, I have not. And I was, I was hopeful thinking, okay, you know, maybe it wasn't movie theater quality, but it was still okay for a TV show. Which apparently some people felt because Google reviews have been better than the movie reviews. But at the same time, it, it really, it, it was disappointing to watch. It, um, it could have been done so much better, especially when I, you know, I heard initially before it was ever released that, you know, Marvel spent more money on it than they would on a normal premiere, which is why they filmed it in IMAX. I'm thinking, okay, they spent some money, we'll have some cool special effects, a little more grander than a normal TV show. But then you watch it, and the special effects really, for the most part, aren't that amazing. There's not a whole lot that blows you away. Um, I, you have a little bit of Medusa's hair, um, which I'm sure they spent money doing, but it's still it's not even that amazing. And part of that is, when it comes down to it, the Inhumans have a couple of characters that just come off as kind of cheesy in the first place. But I was thinking, okay, Ant-Man great character in the comics but when I heard they were making the Ant-Man movie at the same time it's like you know how are they going to do this without making it come off cheesy but yeah. they did they, we, they pulled it off Ant-Man was a cool when, movie when they said Ant-Man we all kind of went what? and when they said Guardians of the Galaxy we all went why? and a lot of people went who? Um, so yeah they managed to pull it off in their cinematic universe at the same time you were hoping they'd be able to do the same with Inhumans, and it doesn't. Okay, um, so first thing you disliked about the Inhumans is they have this wildly large budget, and the special effects don't really work. Well, um, some of them do. Lockjaw's, Lockjaw's the giant, if, you, if you're not aware of the Inhuman, he's this giant hound who's their teleporter. And he's got a teleportation effect in here that looks pretty cool. Okay. Where he teleports people off and then shows up. His looked great. It wasn't. It wasn't like just amazing special effect, but it looked. It, it looked good. It fit. Everything was okay. Medusa's hair was just kind of okay. It wasn't blow you away. 
you don't see a whole lot in a, in a two hour premiere because this first episode, you know, the the premiere is two hours. Well, that's probably what about an hour and forty after commercials, something like yeah, that. Yeah, hour and thirty four, I think. You don't honestly see a whole lot of active use of powers from a society that's basically all super powered. Okay, so let's let's focus on that for a second. So the the premise of the Inhumans, uh, a lot of people may not know them from the comic books. Basically, they are a, they're not mutants in the X Men sense, but they have a particular genetic code or a gene that activates superpowers, and they're as old as the rest of humanity. Um, and so one would expect that in a show focusing on these super-enhanced creatures that have been around forever, uh, not actually coexisting with us, they, they live on the moon, um, you would see a lot of use of, of this almost magic. And, yes, and, and you saying, would think you would see more of it than we saw in the show. Right. Um, now, Medusa. Um, I'm not as up on the Inhumans as I am on certain comic book genres. Is she the Medusa from Greek mythology? Has she, are they excessively long-lived? Or is it just a family name that's been passed down? It's just, I think, I think it's just a name because of her power. Okay. She has really long hair that she can control. Okay. Um, so, so... But she's not excessively old. No. Okay. No, she's a... Although they can do whatever they want. They, they, they don't necessarily always follow the comic books. Yeah, and, and, and I don't know, this is the... The Inhumans, which have been introduced on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show. Right. As the Terrigen, which is a crystal that activates this latent Cree altered gene within their, within some people. It's introduced in, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and you With see Daisy some... or Sky, depending on... Yes. Everyone who's watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. should know that Sky is, is Daisy. Um, and you've got some others that have shown up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and they've introduced in there, but the ones on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are all just people who have been activated during the show. Right. And the, the Inhumans show is actually taking you to the society that's been around for a while that people don't know about living on the moon. Okay. You know, they've got the city, that this hidden city. They've got advanced tech because... They've been organized for centuries. Yes. Unlike the rest of us, which we should really try in reality. Sorry. Um, um, so, you didn't like the lack of use of special effects. So they have this huge budget. It's set in Hawaii, and that may be where the huge budget went. Um, assuming they're actually filming in Hawaii versus some other tropical island with a lower rent cost. Um, but that's not even near the, the issues you really have with the show. No, there's... the If you look at it compared to The Gifted, which is the Fox show that just came out this week also. Also dealing with mutants. Different type of mutants. X-Men mutants. Yes, and I think the way Marvel, since when Marvel filed for bankruptcy and they sold the right to the X-Men franchise to Fox, and so Fox has been doing everything mutant related... So they can keep the contract going, yeah. And and they've some of the X Men movies were better than others. Some of their stuff, but they to me Fox has been kind of hit or miss with their stuff. Well, yeah, because I mean, as far as Marvel characters on screen, the X Men have been the worst of the Marvel adaptations, 
And sometimes they've been really, really good. They've never actually lived up to the ability of being the best of what Marvel's put on screen. Uh, and notice I'm saying Marvel because with the exception of uh, Dark Knight and Wonder Woman and maybe the original, the Tim Burton Batman, DC hasn't done much on this screen. Um, much worth talking about. Yeah, we're sort of embarrassed for you, DC. Um, but yeah, no, the X-Men have sometimes been the, the worst of the Marvel adaptations and sometimes... And that's because Marvel Studios hasn't had mm-hmm. them. Marvel Studios has done a... a much more consistent job of putting out good movies. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Once, once the whole Phase One, Phase Two, Phase Three Marvel Cinematic Universe, Disney throws a lot of money their way. These movies have been exceptional for the most part. Um, even Ant Man, which again shocked the heck out of both of us. Um, so, on TV right now, we have two competing Marvel franchises. One's owned by Fox, and that is The Gifted. Actually, we've got three. Because there's Legion, but it's only aired on FX, so it's never going to be a battle between the big networks. Um, the Gifted's on Fox Prime, I guess is what you would call it, because there are so many little Fox stations now. Yeah, the major Fox um, network. Yeah, and... Um, well, and Legion doesn't come back until the spring. Right. It's one of those shows that just airs during the springtime. Right, and, and again, it's, it's on, like, FX1. There's, like, four FX stations now, which are owned by Fox, but... So if we look at what's on... Now, we should have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. coming back sometime soon also. Uh, which, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is an okay television show. Uh, it's it's not horrible. It's not the greatest. I I had a lot of trouble getting into the first season, and then they, they did the whole let's cross into Captain America Winter Soldier, and went, my God, this is brilliant. This is the first time it's been done, and was hooked. And then they never lived up that again. I didn't make it past the second season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Although I saw everything they did with Agent Carter, which I thought was the better show. But with the Inhumans, they've now got a chance to expand this universe. And the speculation has always been, since they don't own the rights to the X-Men, and, and Fox has those, that the, some of the story arcs that play out in the whole Civil War universe where you really need registration and you need persecution... Marvel would start doing with their TV show. Or, or not even necessarily this, the Civil War stuff, but just in general, you, the general consensus has been that Marvel's going to use the Inhumans as kind of a, a fill-in for the X-Men. For, for the X-Men. They don't right. have the right to their own Right, because uh, they, they need those story arcs. So they were going to use the Inhumans to, to fill in for the X-Men and do some of those stories that deal with discrimination and bigotry that the X-Men has dealt with since its creation. And, and persecution, like and I just said, yes. that you argued with me on and then supported me. Thank you for well, the support. Well, I was, I was saying, not specifically Civil War, I'm just saying in a broader right. sense, it was, it, people believe that Marvel was going to use the Inhumans to, to in fill, place fill of the, the X-Men. X-Men. Yeah, exactly. And what did you see with the Inhumans? Do they achieve it, that? In, in this first episode, they... Kind of comes off the exact opposite. Um, one, I think it's kind of, I think it's more difficult to. And to we'll deal try with. to avoid specific spoilers. And but, I think in some ways it's they're starting off with a handicap because it's harder to deal with discrimination when you're dealing with the royal family. You know, since this show is following the royalty of the Inhumans, you know. And looking through history, royalty is generally the ones that aren't being discriminated against. Yeah, they're the you know, ones doing look, the discrimination. Yeah, when you're looking at the people in power, 
then you're not looking at the people that are persecuted. And yes, as a whole, the Inhumans are persecuted by people, at least in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We've seen right. that there. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has done a better job of showing that. Inhumans did not do as good a job with that. Um, right, so the Inhumans storyline as it's set now, there is a coup and a civil war brewing. Um, Black Bolt, who even if you just had a cursory reading of the Inhumans, you should know who Black Bolt is. He's the king, he has immense power uh, that's all in his voice, so he doesn't speak because of the danger of it. Right. Um, they say that you know a whisper can level a mountain. And his brother, is his brother, right? Yes, Maximus? his brother Maximus is one of the rare Inhumans that after going through Terragenesis gains no abilities. He's basically a regular person. And he overthrows. He overthrows his brother because he wants to be king, but he gets the people on his side because the Attilan society, Attilan is their city on the moon, their, their society there takes the, the inhumans that don't gain cool abilities and puts them to work in the mines. So basically discriminates against the... Non, Non-enhanced, non-mutated... Or, or less enhanced, because you got one guy in the mind that has some kind of, like, mole hands or whatever. It's not something that's... that's it, it's a cool not a unit. really cool superpower. Yes. So it's like, oh, your superpower, that's kind of lame. Go work in the mines. Yes. You don't have one, go work in the mines. It's kind of hard to root for the king of the, guy, the people who's doing this. Yeah, because it's exactly the opposite of what Marvel's... Or what X-Men portrays, which right. is, you know, let's... These people are being persecuted unjustly through something they had no control over. So you automatically feel for that. You're like, hey. We, we love the underdog story in the United States. Whether it's a sports film or a, a superhero movie or even freaking Star Wars. We, yeah, we, the, the, the farm boy against the Galactic Empire. Or Stripes from years ago, if anyone's old enough to remember that movie. You know, we are the... Uh, mutant mongrels kicked out of every good country on the planet. We love that story. It's it's part of our cultural DNA. And the Inhumans gives us... The mutants are the bad guys, it looks like. Yeah, well, the, the Inhuman royal family, at least in this first episode, Maximus, yes, Maximus is the villain. He does a coup. He kills people. But at the same time, he's fighting against a system which, to most of us, would be unjust. Right, but the fact that these people are persecuted through something they have no control over, through the the randomness of their genetic makeup, you guys are going to work in the mine and be the peons. And in most sci-fi, if you stage a coup, and the people you're you're having the coup d'état against are the villains, you are by default the hero. Yeah, I mean, right? basically, Star Wars is that. Yeah, no, that, that, that's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm going. So Maximus is is Luke Skywalker, but. We're, we're hoping that uh, what Maximus is... Actually, Maximus is more of Han Solo. Okay, the, the, the rogue who doesn't have the Force. Okay. You know. Yeah, yeah, better call. But what, what may happen and what probably should happen is that Maximus is the sleazy politician that says, I'm one of you, I'm a working class guy, even though, like most national politicians, he's a multimillionaire. And uh, is just saying that as um, a way of um, sort of getting people on his side. Yes, which he kind of comes across that way, but it's still a matter of uh, 
maybe he's doing it for the wrong reasons, but he's doing the right thing, which is overthrowing a system that is unjust. Is unjust, and it's hard to root for the royal family when they they're the ones that are in control of this unjust system and have done nothing to change it. Right. Yeah. So um, Maximus potentially is the good protagonist. Guy. Yeah. And yet, more likely than not, he's not, because running a story um, where a very flawed character, which he is, is doing a coup for the wrong reason and creates the good thing, probably isn't going to resonate with most people. So he can't be the protagonist. They're not going to make any money on that, right? The writers may be creative types, but there are corporate types that go, eh, we'll pass. So... Black Bolt has to be the protagonist, and so we're looking at a very different story than what the Inhumans would have been if they were filling in for the, the X-Men. X-Men, because what we have to have is, is Black Bolt as the spoiled, rotten, rich kid who doesn't know anything about the common life, and he's got to learn the value of simple humanity to then change. Well, and, and I think you say... You know, you have writers, but you also have that corporate part of it. I think maybe there was too much of the corporate hand in this show. Because part of the issue with some of the special effects is there was stuff that seems just, even from a layman who's not in the film industry, was done strictly for economic reasons. Right. Okay, you have Gorgon, who is one of the royal family. He's basically like a satyr from Greek myth in that he has these goat legs with hooves on the bottom. So we always see him from the waist up, except for one shot to establish that? No, but you have him where you see him, and they make it look decent. It's not great. I actually would have liked uh, Harry Housen's version. Claymation, yeah. Better I think with, the same his, thing. with his legs. Um, but you see him when they first introduce him. He's in this conference room on a till and talking to the others, and you see him moving around. And he, they do have his the bottom of his legs back hinged, um, and it looks decent. You know, it's not anything to blow you away, but it looks decent. But then when he goes down to Earth, somehow they they have him with these boots on that make his legs look normal, and it's like, first of all, I don't see how those boots somehow straightened out that backward bend. And it just seems like something they did just so that they had to spend less special effects on him. So that we can just show him in combat boots. And you know who he is, but it's his way of hiding among the people so that... Right, well, I mean, you have to find some way of hiding him or um, he would stick out like a a satyr to barbecue. A long cloak, something that makes more sense. And we're going to have combat boots that somehow make it to look like your legs aren't backbent there. Right. So... Um, and, and there's another moment, which is actually one of the more powerful scenes, although personally I think the writers wasted it here. It would have made more sense later in the story, but I, I think why they did it was special effects cost. Because you have, there's a scene, this is a spoiler, if you haven't seen the show and want to see the show. If you haven't seen the show, there's a good chance that you're probably better off not seeing it. And if that's, if that's the case, then spoilers won't matter. But there's a scene in the show where Medusa gets her head sheared. Um, in some ways, it's kind of a powerful scene, sort of like a Samson scene. Right. Um, when Maximus takes her and just shears off the hair. Because all of her powers are in her hair. But at the same time, I'm thinking, you know what? This scene would have been more powerful 
if we knew the character, if, if this this was done halfway through the season after you've developed the character, right. people it, care about the character more, and this happens, and then it's a powerful scene. Here, it's still somewhat powerful, but at the same time, you don't know the character that well, and to me, it came off as just... And you don't care. Yeah, you don't if care If you don't know the character, yet. you don't care. And it seems like, well, this was done so that uh, we don't have to spend money on, our, on, our, on doing that special effect of her hair. Because it'll be months before it grows back enough that she can do anything with it. And it could just be bad writing, right? They may have had this really powerful chance for a scene and unveiled it too early. That happens a lot. But I I buy the corporate bean counter screwing it up. Um, I was doing a little research on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. um, just in general and also trying to figure out if people were still really engaged looking at its audience numbers and stuff like that. And discovered that the only reason there was a fourth season, ABC tried canceling it. And Disney, their corporate overlord, said, no, you can't. And why? Because there's a lot of product tie-ins. And Disney's wanting to keep that that foothold. And I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. should stay for a couple reasons. It's been decent, and I like some of the stuff they did this season. And it gives Marvel... A avenue for introducing characters and trying them out that they might end up doing something with later. Because we got Ghost Rider this year. Um, they did Robbie Ruiz as Ghost Rider. It was an interesting storyline for him. Um, and the special effects weren't bad for, for him. The skull looked a little CGI at times. But, but Marvel is doing so well in their little Netflix shows. And I, I, sh- I only say little because it's the... 13 episode seasons. Yeah, the 13 episode seasons... And the, the fact that they're taking the superheroes that aren't necessarily fighting Galactic, Galactus, actually. Or, or large-scale yeah. enemies. You know, these are people dealing with... With actual problems with actual people. And those shows, from what I've seen of them, and I haven't watched a lot of them, or all of them, um, they're actually, with the exception of Iron Fist, doing a really good job. But... Um, so, I don't know. So, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has been getting clobbered in the ratings... And ultimately, well, and, if and, it's and not making money, they're going to get rid of it. This one... Well, and, and the thing is with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it might not be making as much money on the front end, but because of the tie-ins, it can, there, there's right. other revenue well, and, and streams that's why, than yeah, and that, that's ratings. why Disney wanted it to stay. And, um, and while, yes, you could say, well, we could just take these same stuff that they're introducing and introduce them through Netflix, but Netflix doesn't have quite as wide of a potential audience since it's not it's, a major network. It's hard to tell because Netflix doesn't um, have to release any of their data. Um, I'm not even sure they're a private or publicly traded company. Um, I think they're still private. So Disney's had Netflix data because they had that really good partnership with Netflix, which they're bailing on in two years. Um, but they've said that the Marvel stuff will stay on Netflix. Disney's going to open their own streaming service just for Disney content. Which is like, it makes sense that they leave the Marvel stuff there because it's doing so well there. Right, absolutely. So, but back to the Inhumans. So we've got potentially the villain is the protagonist, but we don't think they're going to do that at all because I, we, I just don't see yes, that it resonate just, with the it audience. It comes across as he he's more, justi- more justified. Yeah, he's more justified in the first episode. We've got Black Bolt who. As you mentioned earlier, his superpower is in his voice, so he doesn't even talk. Um, and we're guessing he's going to learn what it is to be human, run the story arc that works so well for Thor in the movies. Um, story arc that has... 
Well, even um, what they're doing with Iron Man on the big screen with Tony Stark, right? He has the moment in um, the first Avengers movie where he can make that ultimate sacrifice and he goes from being a guy in a really cool power suit to a superhero. And with the whole Civil War storyline, what's caused him to change is he's now thinking about it from the perspective of the, of the collateral damage of the people. Not as collateral damage, but as the people who are actually being hurt. Well, and, and even in the original Iron Man movie, in Iron Man 1, he went from being this billionaire weapons creator who's not really connected to the people. Right. To once he's captured in a cave with the, guy, with the old man... It humanizes him he, and makes him see the world differently to where he changes and doesn't want to sell weapons anymore and wants right. to help. Right. We, we start to see him beginning, but he's still a douchebag in Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2. He makes some of the right decisions. Yeah, but that's the start. That, 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 that's yeah. the start of the road of, of him, by being stuck in that cave, starts to see humanity in a way he hadn't seen before. The little people. Right. And that it, he had not really seen or cared about before. Right, and, and the, I mean, the huge part of that story, though, I think, is right at the end of the Avengers. Because Cap challenges him earlier in the movie about... You're not, not the guy that'll hero. fall on the grenade. Yeah, whatever the speech was. And, and actually, he is. And luckily, the Hulk's there to save him. Um, so, in the Inhumans, I mean, realistically, Black Bolt's going to have to follow that same story arc. Or Maximus has to be the protagonist. Um... I had promised you I was going to watch this so we could talk about it, even though the, the reviews were so bad when it hit the theater, I really had no interest in seeing it. Um, after listening to what you've had to say here, I'm not going to watch it. I, I Unless, if they do something really amazing, this is a beautiful thing about the time period we live in, if they actually pull their sh- shit together... Pull their head out of their and, asses. Yeah, and, and it becomes something really good, which is kind of what happened with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. the first season. The first half of it, I, I, I tried. And but they had a plan. I mean, we didn't realize at the time. Right. But it well, was kind of brilliant to introduce characters as good guys, and then when Winter Soldier happened, and you have the whole Hydra revelation, they, they discovering a, that a team member that you had liked and thought was a good guy was really an evil psychopath. Right. They, 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 had, a, they had a really good plan... But the first half of that first season was not... I, I mean, I'm not the only one to say this. There were a lot it, of... It was reviews. slow yeah, and not, it, as, not they, as... It wasn't riveting They, they had a plan that they didn't execute that. very well un, until that. And then that made everything else better. Um, if they managed to pull it together, then um, I can watch it this summer when it hits Netflix. <laughs> and, and I can binge watch it and maybe skip the first episode. Because I'm gathering... That's what you would recommend to everybody is, if you haven't seen it, don't. Yeah, because if they fix any of this stuff, don't watch this first one and see all the stuff they didn't do right. Because there's so much, there's there's other things that they didn't do, stuff that doesn't make sense from character now, and storyline points of view. Gifted, on the other hand. Gifted, on the other hand, took everything that the Inhumans did wrong and did it right. We, we've is, got persecuted protagonists you have that persecu- you actually care about. Yes, you have kids... The, the premise of this show is you have two kids whose mutant powers act Well, one kid whose mutant power activates um, near the beginning of the show. Um, his sister already had her power, but she kept it hidden because mutants are persecuted. This is right. the X-Men universe where mutants are persecuted purely for being mutants. So you have these two mutant children who are 
suddenly being hunted by the government because just because they have mutant powers. Uh, their father worked as a prosecutor, prosecuting mutants for crimes. Nice twist. Which some when the X Men do it well, whether it's cinematic or comic book or however many cartoon X Men shows there were, those nice little twists. Um, Magneto and Xavier were childhood friends. You don't find that out very early, and that's something that they brought into it later. They keep adding little bits of depth. So, I hate mutants. I'm prosecuting mutants. Oh, my God, my kids are mutants. So he sends them to jail, right? Like any good prosecutor would do? No, he does what any good father would do, which is you care about your children, so they take their kids on the run. Uh, And he tries to hook up with the mutant underground, which is a group of mutants that have been funneling mutants to other countries and, and, and setting them up with secret identities about, but countries which they say in the show are friendlier in their views or more relaxed in their views towards mutants. And being a former mutant prosecutor, of course, no one's going to trust him. Which is a nice sort of plot device from Logan's run. And I'm, I'm actually really excited about now seeing the show. I also have not watched Gifted yet because... Fox can be hit or miss. And with with the premieres, if you look at the two of them, the, the premiere for the Inhumans was two hours long. The premiere for Gifted was one hour long. You get more action and more information about the world and the setup in that one hour of the Fox's show than you do of the two hours of the Inhuman show. Okay. The pacing is better. It starts off, the first scene is following immune that's being chased by the police who is uh, Blink. Um, she's a mutant teleporter who's still learning to control her powers. She showed up in the um, the movie uh, Days of Future Past in the mm-hmm. future sequence in the right. movie. She was the one there that was doing the teleporting. Right. So you see her, her in this. She's being chased by the cops. She meets up with the mutant underground who help her escape, but during the process, one of their members gets captured. Lorna Dane who in the comics is Polaris. She has magnet- She's basically like a female version of Magneto, just not quite as strong. Now, since we're recommending they watch the show, let's not give them too much of the actual That is the plot. opening sequence. Okay. So that's not too much. But so, so you have a connection for the prosecutor to the Mutant Underground because they've just captured a member. So you have ways for them to work all this together. Right. So you're introducing this, this world where mutants are persecuted. You're introducing this world where there's a Mutant Underground... You're showing the use of powers as because people that are being hunted and attacked are using their powers, which you don't see a whole lot of in, in humans. Right. You, so you get Gorgon using his once, I think. You get Medusa using hers twice. Um, and you get Karnak using his once. And they're all separate. Wait, it's Johnny Carson's old bit is an inhuman? He is an inhuman... Uh, in the oh. comics, I think they say his ability is to see the weakness in anything, whether that be a physical object or oh, the, a the, plan or a strategy. Um, the, the old Johnny Carson Karnak routine, look for it on YouTube. If I only saw it because I stayed up way too late when I was way too young. Would be reading, psychic reading of letters. Um, so, but, uh, so the gifted we get to see 
the what most people initially turn into superhero shoes, series four. We get to see their superpowers in the opening, or really close to it. We get a character established as a bad guy, the prosecutor, and then we discover really quickly that he's not, that he's put in this dilemma. Um, this show actually sounds really intriguing. And, so, and well done. Um, so on a, st- on a star rating, or a number rating, 10 being the highest, where would you rate The Gifted? I would probably give Gifted, the, the premiere, I'd probably give it a 9. It, it does everything it needed to do in this show. And now, the, whether the show maintains that level... Right. There's a promise that they've given us in the pilot episode, and if they live up to that, it's going to be amazing television. Yes. Now, The Inhumans, out uh, of 10. I'm uh, giving it a zero not having seen <laughs> it, because I'm not going to. I think I'd probably give it a three, and I might be being generous. But part of that Ouch. is... is Do you hear that, Marvel? And, and he is wearing a Marvel t-shirt right now, and lives in Marvel t-shirts, and he's giving your latest product a three, and he says he's being nice. It's, it's, it's so much potential that was just not done Executed right. well. Yes. Now, Marvel, if you want to hire a couple of... Uh, <laughs> underemployed writers to fix your problems, we're available. You can reach us at the Astounding Outpost. Actually, editors at the Um Please send us an offer. We will fix your stuff. Yes, yeah, there's, there's consistency issues with that show that shouldn't have been there with the Marvel stuff. Right. And, as, that- and as well planned out as the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, there's no excuse to write bad TV. You've got access to maybe... And I think this is why when I started looking at the reviews and then listened to what you just said, I'm like flatly not going to see it unless something changes. And then I'll binge watch it. Marvel has access to maybe the greatest collection of superhero stories and characters. There are a number so of characters. Yeah, over, so over the years. And they don't have to worry about copyright because they own it, right? I mean, DC's got some great story arcs as well. But I think Marvel... some great characters. I, I think Marvel has a bigger pool. Um, largely because Stan Lee and Jack Kirby were geniuses working together. And they got the idea that the heart of any superhero story is the underdog story. You have to, to find that character that the audience, the, you know, geeky guy or gal that's reading the comic books that doesn't quite fit in, they've got to be able to somehow sink into that uh, superhero persona and get it, whether it's sort of the wish fulfillment of I'm Tony Stark, or in the case of DC, who did this well, I'm Bruce Wayne, you know, and I'm a billionaire playboy, what do I do with that? Well, of course, I'm going to help people, right? Whether it's that or it's well, and, and Peter Marvel, Parker. Marvel keyed into the fact that, you know, humanize your heroes to a way that you make them identifiable. Give them some right. flaws that we will will see them overcome. I mean, you have... Absolutely. With Daredevil, you, he's not just a superhero. He's, he's blind. blind. Right. So you give him that. Well, and, Tony and, Stark is... is some, well, and Hank Pym, which you right. see a little bit in Ant-Man, was an alcoholic. And addicted to Vicodin, I believe. Uh, so, you see the pills in a scene in the movie. But in the um, comics, they dealt with right, alcoholism. Head on. And, yeah, they dealt with... I mean... And 
uh, not a nice person, right? I mean, yeah, we, yeah, we, we have was, to mention that there, there are some issues in the comic book where he's abusive, abusive to, to his, his wife. wife and and uh, you have Tony Stark, who's kind of a narcissist and a playboy. And, kind I mean, of? <laughs> well, is a narcissist. So you, you have these people that have issues, you know. Stark is such a narcissist that Narcissus, where we get that word from, is embarrassed at his level of narcissism. You know, Peter Parker is the the nerd that's been picked on at school yeah, before and, he gets... and he's the kid. He's, I, I mean, yeah. I, I'm more fond of the, the Spider-Man issues where Parker is actually the teenager and not the college student. Well, and you, you're way behind because, you know, at this point he's been the college professor. Um, yeah, no, I, but, but, but I'm saying when it comes to all of the stories, I like him when he's the little kid. I, I loved Spider-Man Homecoming. Because there's something about that kid who's sort of isolated and ostracized that now has this great power and actually lives up to the great responsibility that I still... But still is a kid in, in what yeah. he's doing. They did a very good job with that movie. Um, and I love the fact that they introduced Miles Morales' uncle just for the potential of us getting a non-Peter Parker Spider-Man in the future. Right, absolutely. Because we, we now have, what, this was the sixth Peter Parker movie... Solo yeah. Spider-Man movie in the last what decade and a half or so. I don't know when the, the first twenty years. It's, it's twenty years. It's been twenty ish years. Tobey Maguire first yeah. Spider Spider-Man. Who, who was? I mean, I've loved every actor who's played Spider-Man, but each actor I've liked a little better than the one before. For, right? Yeah. Abs. Absolutely. It's always been the issue of writing in the movies that has made me go eh. Um, but yeah, the the Miles Morales suit. Um, that we see. I mean, that's such a great thing. Yeah, we, um, the Miles Morales suit right at the end, Tony Stark, the suit he was going to give to him. If you, you look really closely at it, it's Morales' Spider-Man suit. But, I mean, Marvel writers for TV, you have access to all these amazing stories, and there are new writers who could tell even more amazing stories, and with the Inhumans, you're not using that database? That. Yeah, it's, it's really disappointing. On the other hand, CW's version of the DC Universe frustrates me sometimes, but it's not disappointing. So on CW right now, there is Supergirl, which frustrates me. There is Flash, Arrow, Legends... They're bringing in Black Lightning in January that is not going to interconnect with the other superhero shows. But CW is coming back right now. Um, they're, they're changing when they air the shows. And I forgot to look up what are the new days. So you may be listening to this and already have seen the season premiere of Arrow because I think they're moving it to Tuesday. Or they may have switched it to Thursday. But... Arrow's probably, uh, there's no probably about it, Green Arrow has always been my favorite superhero. I like the fact that he's a normal guy. It goes back to the, the whole Spider-Man thing. Yes, he's a billionaire playboy, and yet he can do what he does because he chooses A, to do the right thing, and B, because he chooses to train himself. He doesn't have any superpowers, um... He's using a bow and arrow. And unlike Batman, who's a very similar type of superhero, Oliver Queen doesn't have a gazillion cool gadgets 
you know, the Batmobile, the Batcopter, the Bat whatever. Yes, he's got access to the bank account, but he takes people down with a bow and arrow and a lot of punching. And, and Batman does that too, but he's always got the ability to, you know, he's to bring in the Batmobile or the Batcopter or uh, the Bat spaceship. He really should sort of call them something different. Um, but anyways, Arrow is back, Supergirl is back, Legends is back, and The Flash is back. Arrow, which we will start with again because he has always been my favorite hero, left us on one of the most massive cliffhangers uh, that I think we've ever seen, especially in, in any show, let alone a superhero show. Basically, everybody he cares about potentially just died on Lian Yu. And Adrian Brody has a gun to his son's head, and they're stuck on a boat in the middle of the, the China Sea. Um, where are they going to go with this? What do you think? Well, obviously they're not killing off everybody. Right. Yeah. Um, Although John Barrowman, Malcolm Merlin, actually said he was dead. That that was his exit to the series, because he had some other things he needed to do, but there's always the famous Arrow flashbacks. So Or... Um, Lazarus Pit or some other way to bring him back if they decide to bring him back later including you know now we have the whole time travel yeah way of bringing people back which we saw with the way they brought back Damien Dark and Merlin in the timeline I mean they pulled him out of the timeline he wasn't actually dead but yeah other than Malcolm and and Arrow has lied before uh, right, they had the whole Oliver Queen's dead, and Stephen Amell actually took to social media with a tweet after that cliffhanger, going something to the effect of, "For any actor, a three-year run on a TV show is a good career." And it was like, no, they didn't really kill Oliver Queen, and yet the social media—I mean, they're smart; they know how to to mess with their fans. So, um, of the people on the island, we've got what Curtis. Um, Lance, I was pausing because I wanted to call him Harry Dresden and I knew that wasn't right. We've got Curtis, we've got Lance, we've got um, the new canary, Dinah Drake, we've got um, Felicity. Thea, right? Thea, yeah, Thea, and um, Renee, Mad Dog. Um, Ragman wasn't there, and Artemis was a bad guy all along, so we don't care. Um, oh, and uh, Deadshot who, even though they made it look like he had betrayed... Not Deadshot. Um, um, One-Eyed Guy. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> if you watch the show, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, started in the comics as a Teen Titans villain. Um, and now that we're trying to think of him is when my yeah, mind goes blank. exactly. Um, Oliver, he's always kid. Uh, Manau... He's a brilliant actor from uh, New Zealand, I believe, because he's part Maori. Um, who, um, oh, God, what is his name? This is going to drive me insane. Uh, all right, podcast audience, I'm going to hit pause. We're going to Google really quick because we're losing our minds. All right, we actually didn't need Google because it hit me as soon as there was no pressure to record it. Deathstroke. Right, both his mentor and his enemy. It looked towards the end of last season that when he freed him, it was a mistake, and the miracle hadn't worn off, and he had betrayed him. And then we found out that that was all part of the plan. So, Des- but he's been 
his death is somewhat unimportant at this point. He's been kind of out of it, uh, locked up on the island for, you know, a while. He hasn't been a part of the show. Now they may bring him into the show or they may not. But the fact that he was Ollie's mentor and then he killed Ollie's mother and tried destroying Queen and now if he's gone back to being the good guy that he was, I think this makes for a rich story arc. So I am. I, I know it probably doesn't matter for the overarching, the way that the story is going, but I really don't want him dead. Well, and leaving him alive gives you potential for stories. I mean, we've seen since they since CW did the Flash, the introduction of a lot more metas into right. the Arrow universe, so they could bring in Deathstroke's son right. at some point. Well, um, and and Oliver promised, if you help me do this, I will help you find your son. Who in the comics is a has superpowers, um, right? So I mean I don't want them to kill him. Plus, some of the acting on Arrow is hit and miss. His isn't. He does both the I'm a battle hardened sort of Australian assassin and I'm a psychopath so well. Um, some of the other actors I just kind of get annoyed by the portrayal. Now. They call him Ragman in the TV show, the guy with the ancient cloak. Which is the name of the character yeah, in the he, comics. So. See, and I, I never caught him in the comics. Um, he wasn't on the island, so they can always bring him back once he gets the suit fixed. Um, so I doubt... I, I mean, this is where it gets interesting. Well, my, my prediction is... Would be that they're going to kill Lance off because of the characters... He's run his full story arc, except um, Katie Lotz, I believe is her name, who played Laurel Lance in the TV show, and then was the second Black Canary, because her sister was the first, and now White Canary. Um, she has that meta from Earth 2, Siren, and... Reading up on Arrow, there's a lot of Siren episodes, and, and Siren is playing a bigger part. I mean, she was freed in this one, in, in the end of this season. She's showing up a lot, so I think they have to keep Chief Lance around just to and again, torture a, a, him. And again, a good actor who... Yeah, absolutely. Who always pulls off his stuff, so... They gave us Mad Dog Renee having an actual story arc with his daughter. He can't face her. Um, and then he decides to face her, and then he was kidnapped by, and they've got that bonding moment between him and Lance. And then he was kidnapped and couldn't do anything about it. And they actually started making him a more interesting character. Right, which, so, which is why I, don't I hope think that they will keep him alive, because he's actually becoming more than just a less refined version of early Arrow. Right, yeah. Uh, uh, a mad guy with guns as opposed to a bow and arrow. Yeah. It, without even a plan, I'm just going to shoot everybody. Um, who's, I think, is bad, right? He didn't shoot good guys. But, um, yeah, they, they made the character more interesting. I think, therefore, he has some story arc worth exploring. Um, you would think that the new Black Canary would live, because they've just introduced her. Right, yeah. I mean, and, you know, she, she has to survive. If you go in the comics, you know, Oliver, Queen, you know, Arrow, Green Arrow, and Black Canary are kind of a thing. Right. So well, and there's a potential there if they ever get past the whole uh, Felicity thing. Yeah. Who? Yeah, and Black Canary in the comic books is either Dinah Laurel Lance. We saw that version of Black Canary. She's now dead, although it's DC, so 
no one has to stay dead. Or Dinah Drake. And we've now been introduced to Black Canary as Dinah Drake, and she actually has a superpower. So, you know, they added a lot to Felicity in this season with the hacker group and some stuff like that, and her learning how to stand on her own. And um, so I don't know that they'll kill Felicity. I, I really like the actress. I think she's funny and fun. And yet, I think you could say her story arc could also be done. It gives Oliver a way to have another broken heart so that they get the broody Oliver Queen that seems to resonate with um, a certain segment of the fan base. Um, although this makes me sad, Curtis has run a pretty full story arc, and I love the idea of Mr. Terrific. I love the idea of the wrestling reference to the jacket. I just think that's awesome. Um, my prediction would be if you kill Curtis, then you keep Felicity because you need the tech. And if you kill Felicity, you keep Curtis because you need the, the, the tech person. But my money is on one of the two of them is probably deceased. If they kill off anyone. Yeah. I, I mean, if they don't, I'm still going to love Oliver Queen and Green Arrow, but I'm going to be yet again mad at this series. I got, I almost quit watching it in the middle of last season. I said I was going to quit watching it, and then one of my children finished it. and was like, you've got to finish it. And so I did, and I forgave them. The whole Adrian Brody thing as Prometheus just lost me. I, I mean, literally, this was one of the few shows with work, schedule, kids, writing. The list of things that don't allow me to watch TV 24-7... Um, I managed to watch it every week when it came out, and then I stopped. And I had to binge watch it off of my DVR in the summer for the whole second half of the season. And part of the first half of, um, the, like, the last two episodes of the first half of the season I didn't see. Because when they've got this, who is Prometheus, who is Prometheus? Um, I was talking with one of my boys, and I wrote out the best Prometheus story arc known to man in my head. And then they gave us, oh yeah, we introduced this new guy who really, we have no reason to even know he's existed in the universe, and he's going to be the supervillain. It's like, that's probably what they're going to do, it's TV, but DC, here's what you should have done. Tommy Merlin. Tommy Merlin should have been Prometheus. Because when Malcolm is Raj... He could have taken Tommy's rotten corpse, who was much more decayed than, than White Canary and Thea, and resurrected him in the Lazarus pit. They do this in the comic books. And like in the show, the Lazarus pit is not a good thing uh, when it brings you back. But as Raj, Merlin could have brought Tommy back, could have realized he created this psychotic monster, and because Merlin is a sociopath, just kept him locked in the dungeons of Number Pat, and every so often sent some underling from the League of Assassins down so that Tommy could kill him and satisfy his bloodlust, and then trained him. And then what happens after that? Well, as we all know, Merlin's no longer Raj. Number Pat falls. And so this twisted, trained by Merlin um, version of Tommy. of Tommy escapes. And when he gets back to Star City, his last memory before he dies is Oliver sleeping with Laurel. So he, in that twisted Lazarus pit state, is already pissed. 
he discovers that Oliver's the one that took Raj from his father, cut off his hand, and since his father's now disappeared from the timeline thanks to legends, assumes Oliver's killed his dad, sees the whole Damien Dark thing, blames Oliver for killing Laurel, who was someone that Tommy had actually loved, that would give him motive to go that psycho crazy and the skill set to really go that psycho crazy to undo Oliver. And that's what I was rooting for. And then I accidentally stumbled across a spoiler and it had to do with Adrian Brody being Prometheus and went, that's just stupid. Especially since the moment that he's introduced and starts taking a prominent part in the storyline, it just is natural to think, okay, this is going to be the villain. Exactly. It's been done so many times in shows, and since you have limited time for characters, when you introduce a character, you generally have a reason for it. And so you just... It wasn't a great surprise when he was revealed to be Prometheus. Just like it it wasn't a surprise in Flash when... um, Draco Malfoy, uh, we realize, is um, being controlled by Savitar. Um, that he's the, uh, what's the name of, um, the he, he's the one that's actually resurrecting the people from um, Flashpoint. The alchemist. Alchemist, thank you. Um, now, I, I will say with Flash, though, they have the whole alchemist storyline, and it was like, uh, Julian, the character is actually really interesting. I think this is a cool storyline. And they kept him on. And that was not something I would have predicted. Um, but, yeah. And, and it, was, it was less easy to predict the fact that Savitar was a future version, a time remnant of Barry, Barry himself. Which I'm still having trouble wrapping my head around. Uh, to quote Janeway from um, Star Trek Voyager, temporal mechanics gives me a temporal headache. And it does, because if you live in a world where you can create time remnants and it doesn't alter the timeline, but you can alter the timeline, i.e. Flashpoint, and it creates problems, it, it just... I I fear with Flash, the way it's being done on TV, they're going to get to a point that their own rules of time don't make any sense. Like, But I, I think with Flash, it's less about it making sense and more about it being... a fun story oh absolutely yeah flash has and this is what i think is why flash has done so well compared to some of the other tv uh superhero shows that have been adapted for tv it's actually been the highest rated one so it it has done better has the feel of old time comics oh absolutely yeah that it's a fun story that doesn't take itself too seriously um and it's way more kid friendly arrow is not gotham is not in humans is no one friendly at this point. Um, Legion definitely not kid friendly. Most of the st- all of the stuff Agents on Netflix is, is not being kid a- 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 friendly, but kid, not but that not interesting to kids. Yeah, um, just the way it's set up. Yeah. Oh, and and I get that. And my eleven year old. Oh, no, actually, I'm not going to say that because my my youngest child has pointed out some of the temporal issues created. Like, well, if this is true in Legends and this is true in Flash, why aren't they true in both? They're in the same universe. And it bothers him. So um, maybe you have to be younger than 11 for it not to bug you. Um, Flash ended with Barry Allen going into the Speed Force. 
never to be seen again. Now, of course, we know the never to be seen again is crap. Yeah. Um, There's not a Flash show without the Flash. I mean, potentially they could have part of a season without the Flash dealing more with... Uh, well, because we have Kid Flash and we have Jesse Quick. Yes. Um, and, and you could run entire story arcs with them. Um, do you think they'll go half a season? I don't... I, I, don't I know they so. won't go a full season. I think Grant Gustin is part of what makes The Flash successful. Right. Because he's that friendly, likable... Well, he gets the whole Peter Parker thing going, right? He's the nerdy geek that when all of a sudden he gets this great power, he realizes just intuitively he has great responsibility. And it's that way for, you know, the kids who are struggling and, and adults sometimes to actually project themselves into that role. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they'll, they'll get rid of him, but do you think they'll make it through the first half of the season? No. Yeah, I don't either. I'm disappointed by that, too. Um, um, they, they might do an episode with, without him. Flash has a tendency so far to resolve their big stuff in, the, in one episode. Yeah. You know, whatever their cliffhanger is, the first episode of the next season generally deals with it. And then sometimes you'll have repercussions from that from the rest yeah, of the season. And, Flashpoint. And we, we have time jumps frequently. I mean, in the sense that I, I think it was, um, it wasn't Flashpoint, it was the season before that where the the rifts open right into the parallel earths and they jumped ahead six months so we never really dealt with what happened to ronnie um and never really dealt with a lot of the stuff because they went right into the new story arc which i guess you have to do sometimes and, and maybe cw is smart enough they're doing a couple dc shows like uh when we were introduced to, to vixen and arrow they immediately created, or not immediately, they are obviously had it created before. Vixen has her own CW cartoon show. And um, Stephen Amell and and Grant Gustav, is that his, let's, I Grant Gustin. Gustin, there we go, um, are actually providing voices to their characters. So CW is doing this really great thing of, of creating this shared universe, both between TV and, or between live action and cartoon. Which, you know... Which seems to resonate really well with younger audiences. Marvel, when it created a cinematic universe, it was this great new thing, which was kind of brilliant. Let's do all yeah. these movies, TV shows, everything, set them in the same universe. Set them so you don't necessarily have to watch this one to understand this one, but if you do, you get a little bit extra. But if you enter into one universe, you really do need to watch everything in that universe to really stay on top of it. Well, but I mean, you can enjoy Guardians of the Galaxy without seeing oh, any a, of the other Marvel a, absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. You can enjoy the Avengers movie without seeing Guardians of the Galaxy, without seeing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But you can't enjoy uh, Defenders, really, without having at least caught some of the previous series. That one's more tied together, I think. The, the Netflix ones? Be, yeah. You know, you can pick one of the regular Netflix shows um, and be fine. But, yeah, no, I mean, DC's taken that idea from Marvel. They've, and we all went, why? They're like, no, our cinematic universe and our TV universe are going to be completely separate. Well, and, and for the most part, they were just saying we're not doing a, a, right. a cinematic universe at all. But then with Man with, of Steel and Batman or Superman, Wonder Woman, they're setting these all in one universe. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, Justice League comes out, and it's based on, I wish they would only base it on Wonder Woman. But CW, on the other hand, which uh, CW at one point was uh, the Warner Brothers Network and the UPN Networks, 
And then they merged together, and I don't remember what, I think it was WUPN or something like that. Um, and then that network got merged with CBS, and we got the CW. The CW, because of its ties to Warner Brother, has a lot of access to, um, because DC and Warner Brothers uh, have some sort of relationship, because all of the DC superhero movies are Warner Brothers. Um, so the CW is creating their own universe within DC, which is really awesome. I mean, or between, technically a multiverse because right. yeah, absolutely. Supergirl, Earth fifty, yeah, it is 52. on a different yeah, it's Earth than Flash, but set to where they can connect because you know absolutely. And they're bringing in Black Lightning, which is set on yet another Earth, um, which doesn't come out till January. But I'm really intrigued by it. Um, because what we get is someone who was a superhero who, and they don't tell us why, is basically given all of that up and he's a principal of a high school. And if I saw it correctly, his daughters are starting to develop superpowers. So it, it goes back to, to the uh, father in Gifted, right? You've got a guy who's got some connection to this world of superheroes and now his kids are forcing him to actually deal with it in a different way. And they've said that Black Lightning will not tie into the other CW DC shows. But CW's got these cartoons that are coming out, some on the CW network, some that you can only watch on their website. So CW DC are working really hard to create their own universe, very different from Marvel. And different from DC's other stuff. Movie stuff. Yeah. And and different from, from Gotham, Gotham and Luckily, not entirely different from Constantine. I, I think that was an NBC show that they canceled way too soon. Um, CW is... It's really interesting, Constantine. CW tried getting the rights to it, and NBC or CBS, whoever had it, said no. Robert Rodriguez tried buying the rights to it for his El Rey network. Um, he's actually aired the like seven episodes they made. But... Uh, Whichever network, and I think it was NBC, um, who had Constantine had the rights to the show, but not to the character, and that's why we saw John Constantine in Arrow. Because they couldn't keep them from using it, uh, they could just stop them from actually doing a Constantine series. So we may actually, I, I love John Constantine. Um, it's like, for those of you who haven't seen it, you really should, but it's like if you took the Beatles and crossed them with Supernatural... This is what you would get. Um, you get that beautiful Liverpool accent, the uh, a, an anti-hero that makes a lot of mistakes, and yet, ultimately, he's fighting for the greater good, even though he sold his soul to the devil. Um, but CW can't turn that into a show, but yet they're bringing that character in, and they have access to all of DC's characters. So... Um, there's some other superheroes being introduced this year. I believe it's into Legend. I won't say who, but because mostly it's speculation right now on the boards. Um, superhero has tried introducing some, or superhero, Supergirl. Uh, I've watched some Supergirl. I've, I think I've managed to catch two episodes. And, and I, I will always finished. watch the crossovers. But here's my problem with Supergirl. Right. And it was originally on CBS. Um, about a month before they released it, Saturday Night Live did this beautiful, 
Marvel can make a superhero movie for girls. And it was hysterically funny. Thor is her gay roommate. Um, and this was a Black Widow. This, yeah, this was, was yeah, Widow this movie. was a Black Widow story. We see this scene that you see in almost every sort of chick flick movie of Black Widow, uh, Scarlett Johansson, walking down the street in full Black Widow wardrobe, wearing a cardigan and tripping on her high heels, and then being pushed around by men, right? And Thor is her gay roommate, and the Hulk is like her friend, the guy she's not interested in, and she falls in love with Ultron. And it's, it's, the whole trailer is set as a romantic comedy. About a month later, the trailer for Supergirl comes out, and that scene of her being pushed around on the sidewalk, wearing a cardigan, tripping on her high heel, and she's a lackey at a magazine, and it's like they took the Saturday Night Live trailer and went, that's brilliant! Not realizing it was funny and supposed to be, this isn't how you make a superhero movie for girls, because no, Wonder girls... Wonder Woman is how Wonder you Woman is how you do it, yes. yeah. Um, and the whole superhero, the whole Supergirl show has suffered from that problem. She's a freaking intergalactic babysitter. Why is she sent from Krypton? Not because her mom and dad or her aunt and uncle want to save their child or their niece. She's sent there to care for uh, Superman, right? Because no one knows they're about to become superheroes. She, the only reason her life has value is because she's his babysitter when Krypton's dying. That's garbage. I get when they wrote this in the, what Supergirl's probably early 60s, maybe late 50s. We lived in a time where that made sense. Most comic book readers were boys. Um, DC had completely... And the gender bias in this country was, was horrendous rampant. back then. Um, Worse than it is today, and it's still yes. not that great. It made sense back then. It doesn't make sense now. And so she gets here, and now she's second fiddle to her cousin Clark, which is okay, because she got here later. She's younger. I'm actually okay with that. I think they've, they've done some good things of pulling her into her own. And they've, from the episodes I've seen, they've actually dealt with some really interesting issues with her adoptive Earth sister, which I think is great. But ultimately, there have been too many scenes of them sitting around eating ice cream and crying, figuratively speaking, um, which is how some women deal with things, but not how everyone did. They, they seem to have thought, oh, hey, we'll have a superhero but will hide her as if she's the woman in every sitcom that you pay no attention to. Or worse yet, the protagonist in a really crappy romance novel who needs to find her Prince Charming who will rescue her. They've done that with Jimmy Olsen a couple times. Um, they keep going back to that sort of stuff. I, I watch it with one of my sons. Actually, two of my sons really enjoy it. Um, but one of them didn't even finish last season because he got behind. And it's like, I'll just start over next season because their plots really don't matter. Um, so I, I got turned off because of one of the episodes I've watched. I think I watched the first episode. wasn't super impressed. It seemed very much a chick flick version of a superhero, not a superhero that show that empowers women and right. with a strong female character. 
you know, you have her trying on different costumes in the first one. Um, I watched that, wasn't super impressed, and I watched another one later on, and in this episode, I guess two of the villains of hers end up teaming up. I think I saw that one. And in this episode, when they it was finally Banshee decide, and somebody yes, else. Banshee was one of them. When when they finally decide the to super... team up, one of the one of them says to the other one, "Okay, but first you need a makeover." Yeah, the super makeover. It's and like... that just like, okay, I'm sorry, but that's your your thing is these villains that are determined to destroy and kill this person need a makeover first. Yeah, and that's, and that's just that that that's pathetic writing. That really is. Wonder Woman, the movie, should show every writer of a female superhero what you can really do with that. The gender isn't really important. People are going to react to her differently because yes, we still live in a sexist society. Well, and she's even more so than then, she's during a time when it's right. even more World sexist than it is now. But while society reacts to her that way, she doesn't ever become that person that they're trying to she, she, yeah, see she, her as. She never becomes... The spineless, the meek, mild. mild she uh, she is Wonder Woman, um, and I think that's a message that uh, we all want to send to our daughters and our nieces and our nephews, or nephews, our nieces and our sisters and our moms. Some of our nephews, maybe, um, you know, that women can be superheroes, and they don't have to be. I mean, essentially, I, I feel like Supergirl, she really reminds me of the character of Allie McBeal, um, where she can't really do anything right, even though she should, because she's just as smart, she's just as talented, but, you know, society says, oh, you're just a girl. I mean, for God's sakes, it's it's the 21st century. Yes, it's 2017. Absolutely. If, if nothing else, even if you're a writer, and we get that writers tend to be really antisocial except with other writers. Every writer has a pack. We're, we're part of a very small pack of writers. Um, male writers tend to be antisocial and sometimes a bit socially awkward, at least the ones I've actually met. Um, and there's that, what, uh, in um, As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson, yes. someone stops him and says, how do you write women characters so well? And his response is, I take every logic and reasoning I know um, about a man and I write the opposite. And there are a lot of male writers that feel that way. But, you know, listen to a Joan Jett song. Just one or two of them. And I think you'll get the idea that, that women aren't what you think they are. Or better yet, if you are really the stereotypical male writer who is socially awkward and never talks to girls, go talk to one. Yeah. Just just to talk to her, not because she's cute or whatever. Just have a conversation with what you perceive to be an alien species and actually freaking listen. And really, if you're, if you're trying to say something like women are this way or women are that way, replace the word women with black. And because and it is just as racist to say... If you're taking any group of society and saying yeah. they are this, you're wrong. And because you, what they are is a multitude of individuals that it, share one common trait. Right. And which is funny, which is going to get me to... I mean, it's not funny because people are thinking of it that way. But like you pointed out, DC's giving us a multiverse. And they're still giving us this 1950s view of womanhood that should make them even more ashamed of themselves. Especially when in an era you have characters 
Yeah. Now Arrow has done an amazing job. Female characters that even Felicity that started out as the bubble headed bleach blonde geeky has shown some real strength. The Lance uh, sisters. Um, Dinah Drake is going to be that way too as Canary. Artemis, even though she chose to be a bad guy, she's still making her own decisions. Yes, she's proactive and she's not letting the world tell her she has to be this way or that way. And I mean, I I did a look at it and with um, the gifted and the, the Inhumans, which you shouldn't watch, this number may change. But if you really look at how they're portraying women on superhero shows, Arrow's got the biggest female cast. And they're strong. And usually they're the ones that sort of bring Ollie out of his self-destructive tendencies. Um, well, although and, they and, use and Diggle for at, that, too. If you look at the superhero shows on TV now, other than Supergirl, most of them do a much better job of portraying female characters. Yeah. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you have Daisy. Absolutely. And, um, um, and Yo-Yo, and you've got others that are... Yo-Yo? Yo-Yo is one of the humans that you've oh, okay. that I that I haven't enough. seen because I gave up. I was thinking of Agent May. I mean, and, and she's Agent fantastic. May, yeah, she's she's the badass member of the group. Even right. even from the start, she was the baddest ass of them. <laughs> they called her the Cavalry. Right. Um, yeah. Um, every show. Yeah, I mean, every superhero show currently on TV right now is doing a better job of portraying strong female female characters than Supergirl, which, which should, should yeah, yeah, hands down. I mean, yeah, I mean, even even the Inhumans, which is not a great show by any stretch of the means. Medusa's the queen, right? She's a stronger character than Supergirl. Yeah, uh, so. even when she gets her hair cut off and loses her power, she ends up stabbing an attacker. Right. I mean, she's. Yeah, so... She's proactive and not weak. But Supergirl is back on the air. Um, They won't... Not that they're listening, but if they were listening, they won't be able to make any of our changes until the following season. But um, I will watch, especially with the crossovers. I will watch it for the crossovers. Um, If my son, who really loves the show... Uh, find something that he thinks really cool. I may watch a sporadic episode, but I can't. Yeah, I might watch the crossovers. To me, if you are a teenage girl and you don't mind being women being portrayed this way, because it, it seems like the show was written for right. yeah, teenage and, girls. And they do have some moments in the show where when... Um, Actually, funny, Calista Flockhart is in the show, who played Allie McBeal. Yeah, I just made that connection. So when Callista Flockhart is talking to Kara Danvers, who is Supergirl, which is basically the superhero version of Callista Flockhart character, mm-hmm. Allie McBeal, um, she's asking her a whole bunch of questions about Supergirl. She doesn't know that she's Supergirl. And Kara's response is something that she says but there's some dialogue internal dialogue or dialogue that she does expresses some of her friends but she expresses to her right at this point that um you wouldn't ask superman those questions so the show keeps trying to have these moments uh of actually empowering women but i and, and, and maybe they've got one or two female writers and every so often they let them out of the dungeon and let them write two bits of dialogue and then they lock them back up or something 
or they've got one writer who's actually talked to women. Um, and he gets to write a line every so often. But for the most part, yeah, I just... So, Legends, which does a way better job of portraying female characters. Um, we ended at the point that basically reverse flash and everything was resolved. We had, I thought, some really fun time travel stories this last season. I have a, a predilection for zombies, so I like the Confederate zombies. Um, I like the fact that in a time travel show that's basically for kids... When you hit the point that they were in the Civil War, um, Jax and Vixen, who are African-American, actually, they, they address some of that. And I think that was fairly powerful. I have no idea what they've got planned for this next season. Um, they left us with a cliffhanger, but not much. No, and they seem to be, you know, each, each of their two seasons so far have been completely different. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we'll see more of that, where it's not just the same kind of stuff over and over again. Give us something fresh and new each season. Yeah, I, I would like the show not to have the overarching villain every season. Um, seasonal story arcs are great. I think Battlestar Galactica, the, the remake, is the, the... Well, no, Babylon 5 did it, too. If, if you watch the entire series, there was a plan from the beginning. Um... Most sci-fi shows sort of modeled themselves after the original Star Trek, where it was like, hey, we've got a different planet this week, and we'll do something totally different. And that's fun, and that's fine. I love the big story arcs we're getting now, but Legends, to me, feels like a show where you really don't need that. And you could do that fairly easily by just disabling Gideon, so they have no control, and they're just popping into different points in the timeline to fix something. I mean, maybe that's a little too quantum leap. But I, I don't know. I, I loved seeing Eobard Thawne, Damien Dark, and Malcolm Merlin together. I really loved the 1920s episode. Um, and, I mean, I really loved that episode, seeing them as gangsters. But I, I don't necessarily want a villain of the season because we'll figure out who it is too soon. Um, but maybe I would like to see story arcs that really focus on the characters. Um, like we have um, Steel tells Vixen of her future, and that happens right at the end. I would love to see if the story arc is really about them trying to figure it out and, and dealing with issues of, of time travel that Legends seems to have different rules than Flash on. Yeah, it'd so. be nice to clarify the rules across their multiverse that they've created. But but like you said, Flash, it doesn't matter. And, you know, we're thinking too much. It's supposed to be a fun kid show. Um, but yet, we never see time wraiths in... Well, I mean, I guess kind of Actually, we did. We, we, we did in this, because they were pursuing Eobard because he right. existed outside the time because he should have died but when that's like, he was killed him and so he was pursued by time race yeah i mean and that's the only instance of it i just i don't know i i i don't know how they get those two to fully merge together because every time they mess with the timeline there should be a time wraith messing with them except for okay for two reasons why they're not we're not seeing as many time race that, that can be explained one is that the time masters that um 
the captain was a part of right. before they destroyed them. Seem to have a better grasp of how time travel works so that they can do this without creating a bunch of time race. Right. Um, which Eobard also seemed to have a better understanding of time travel because he's the one that explained it to Barry, I think. Right, in yeah, in Flashpoint, yeah. Um, because he'd done enough time travel that he'd kind of learned the rules. So you, you have the villains traveling with a, kind of an expert on time travel with Eobard, and you have Gideon, built by the Time Masters, as something made to function through this time stream and not have all the ripple effects. And that may be true. I would, if that's the case... Oh, it would take would be a line or yeah, two of dialogue a line or to, two. to mention. And, 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 and Rip Hunter could just explain it. Um, but the Time Masters are gone. And, you know, maybe something as simple as the, the Speed Force, which seems to be the one unleashing the Time Wraiths, um, may not have a problem with the Time Masters and with the Legends because they're actually trying to keep time balanced. It, it could be something as simple as that. But yeah, a line or two of dialogue explaining that would make me uh, fairly happy. I mean, I'm excited to see Legends. It tends to be shorter seasons than... Because um, Flash, Arrow, and Supergirl run the full 22-episode story arc. I think Legends has run 16. Um, so they run the shorter seasons. I think that's good. Um, again, I think that... The shorter season is the other reason I don't want the villain of the season. I'd like to see some other way of cohesively tying everything together. Um, I don't know. I don't want it to turn into the time issue of the week. The more I've thought about that, I don't want it to become Quantum Leap. Um, and at the same time, I, I think if you do something like that, it becomes more like the Flash where... It, I mean, it's, it's more kid-friendly than than Arrow for sure. Um, and unlike Supergirl, I think it sends the right messages about the the power women have and, and about equality. And, and they haven't really shied away from the serious issues, like I said, with Jackson Vixen in the Civil War um, and the looks they got in the um, Revolutionary War when they said they, uh, it was um, Vixen and Steele were married. And the response was they really must do things differently in Boston, which made me laugh quite a bit because you just... And people from the... Well, you would think a historian from the 21st century would go, I can't pose as her husband because she can't marry me legally in this time period. Um, but yeah, maybe I, it's one of those things where he's like, you know what, they were wrong, they were backwards... Right, but a historian would get the historical timeline. And yet, that gave them the opportunity to sort of begin to address the issue of racial inequality. That episode was before the Civil War episode. So you have this point of, oh, they do things differently, which sort of warns the audience who, again, from everything I've seen, Legends and Flash skew to a, a slightly younger demographic than Arrow. Um more kid-appropriate, more family-time-appropriate. So for kids who might not really grasp that yet, it addresses it. And then when you get to the Civil War, or the Revolution, yeah, the Civil War, um, when Jackson and Vixen really see the ramifications of what does it mean to be an African-American in the South in the 1800s, um, 
that's a little darker, that's a little more serious. So, um, we have podcasted for quite a bit today. Do you have any final, well, final thoughts in humans, CW universe, um, gifted? I'll give you a second to, to think about that. My final thoughts, based on what you said, based on the reviews, don't bother with the Inhumans. If they change their ways and hire good writers or something, binge watch it over the summer. Um, the Gifted looks really, really intriguing, and I will actually sit down and watch it now. CW, with the exception of Supergirl, keep doing what you're doing. Do these shows right. Um, with the Well, and... Take the Arrow villain more seriously next time. You've, you have failed this fan. Um, and I want to see Black Lightning that's coming out in January. Your thoughts? I, I think it's pretty much mirror years. If you haven't seen The Gifted, check out the first episode. If you haven't seen The Inhumans, you're lucky. Um, he went this, through pain and agony for you listeners. With The CW, yeah. I think uh, continue to do Flash the way you've been doing it. It's a fun show. It doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, Arrow, I don't know, it, it's run through its stretch of flashbacks for him, which means the format of the show is going to change. I'm Absolutely, little, yeah. Because they, the fi- they hit the five years on Lee and you. On what they're going to do now. Are we going to get more story per episode? If, are they going to stay in the present, do some flashback with other characters? So hopefully we'll see some good stuff there. And Supergirl, I still, and until they drastically change that show, I have no real interest in it. Yeah, I, I will stick to it with the crossovers, and, and that's about it, unless there is a particular episode that gets brought to my attention or something. All right. I, I enjoyed the, I did enjoy the episode of The Flash that Supergirl was on, the musical episode, but that was The Flash, just because it was fun. It oh, was, yeah. It didn't take itself too seriously, and... Supergirl and Flash singing the song about being super friends was hilarious. It truly was. I had completely forgotten about that episode. And the actor who plays Martin Stein, I had no idea he had a set of pipes on him. Now, John Berriman, Malcolm Merlin, was actually a a musical theater guy. Um, And you really should check out some of his stuff on YouTube. And Grant and the girl that plays Supergirl, I can't right. remember her name. Both they were both musical theater backgrounds. Yes. But yeah, no, Barrowman, before he ever did Captain Jack on Doctor Who, was making his living as a, a musical theater performer in London. Um, and you can find some clips of him performing on stage. You can actually find, uh, there was a game show called The Weakest Link. They had a celebrity episode of Doctor Who people, and... Um, he actually gives the host who was just the ultimate bad guy. That's that's what a superhero villain should look like is the host from The Weakest Link. Just so much grief and yet sang the Doctor Who theme music in a way that just made me go, oh my God. Um, so yeah, I, sooner or later I am going to steal the, well it wouldn't be steal, but I am going to borrow an audio clip from either Batman 66 or Lost in Space because they always ended with stay tuned next week, same, well, in Batman it was same bat time, same bat channel because everything is called bat in Batman, which drives me batty. Oh my God, I'm back. 
I'm home. All the time. I really did it. You maniac! You blew it up!